from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. I am Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined this week by, of course, James St. James, editor of the Wow Report, and standing in for Tom Campbell, Seth Abramovich, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm a fill-in bear. It's always a pleasure to have you. I should say, I think the world knows that you're a very important writer for The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, well, I don't know about important, but I am one, yes. <laughs> right, As of last, last five minutes, yes, I am still a, a yeah. I, I, I'm going to be asking your advice all the way through the show because I have a lot of questions um, okay. that relate to your beat, as it were. Um, okay. All right, so we count down top 10 things every week that make us go wow. And we start at number 10. Oh my gosh, James. Number 10. Number 10. I'm, I get to be number 10. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm actually very excited because I want to share with everybody that we season two of our podcast, Night Fever, New York Nightlife Legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, is back. Uh, we have 11 new episodes. Um, uh, we've got a superstar lineup of nightlife legends telling their outrageous stories. Uh, this we this year we have Suzanne Barsh talking about building her nightlife empire. We have trans icon, punk pioneer, Warhol superstar Jane County, who was there at Stonewall the night they threw the first brick. She was an inspiration, an early inspiration for David Bowie, Kiss, the New York Dolls. She's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we have Genitalia, who is was a former club kid and is now a community organizer. She runs the Lower East Side Girls Club uh, in New York, and her trans her pivot from club kid nuttiness to you know being an inspiration for young women everywhere is sort of interesting. We also get into some really serious stuff with um, uh, we have Brian Belovich on our show this season who is a gender outlier, a self-described gender outlier, whose journey from boy to girl to woman to man uh, is the basis of his book, Transfigured. He uh, was a uh, trans woman in the 70s and 80s, a, a big club icon, and then has retransitioned back into to being a man. And his story is absolutely interesting. We have Connie Girl, who is a, a, a trans woman of color who was a supermodel in the 90s and faced all sorts of um, weird transphobia in the fashion industry and talks about that. Uh, so we have a lot of really, really interesting people. That's just the beginning. I hope everyone gets to tune in. You can do it wherever you get your uh, podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or you can watch it on Wild Presents Plus streaming. James, I love that. That's a brilliant summary. What I'm curious, like having done two seasons now, what yeah. do you think is the sort of, why does it matter to to tell these stories, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting because season one was sort of just about telling my story. And it was about my place in the club scene. And these are the people who were inspiring to me and who mentored me. And this season, we're sort of branching out a little bit. We're telling more stories about different people from the 60s, 70s. And these stories are important. You know, these are these are our uh, icons. These are people who are legends. And if we don't tell these stories, they might get lost, you mm -hmm. know? And it's important to... 
you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. And these are the giants who uh, paved the way for all of us. And we need to give them their props and give them their dues. So it's, you know, we, we tell a lot of goofy, goofy stories about being fucked up and throwing up on each other's shoes and all. But we also get into some really serious issues and some really serious topics. So it's it's it, we, we cover a lot of bases. I, I'm so struck by how, you know, it's been like an iceberg. Like the culture is the bit that sticks above the water and you think, oh, that's the culture and you write stories about it. But then all this stuff happens below the water and that's how you get the stuff above the water. You know, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. I never, I'd never really given full accounting to how much our culture is shaped by what goes on in these places at night, you know, and all that mm -hmm. fucked up craziness. It's so, it's like being in the sort of, wherever volcanoes start, you know, under the earth. In the <laughs> James, I, you know, I was looking for a great club to go to in LA and I couldn't really find a satisfying one, the kind of I remembered from my twenties in New York. And I'm wondering what you think about this, you know, the state of clubs and club kids and club culture in 2022. I mean, obviously, you know, pandemic didn't help, but. You know, well, I mean, there. it's funny because, you know, Giorgio's in Los Angeles was a, a, a really fun place for a while that had that policy of, you know, no cell phone, no photos. You know, celebrities could go and be, be themselves and not have to worry about, you know, being recorded or anything. And that's sort of what that feeling was in the 80s where you could go to clubs and act up and be who you were and not have to worry that you were going to end up on Instagram or, or, you know, TikTok the next day. And so there are places still um but the the whole culture of clubbing has changed and the whole idea that it's all about just taking your selfies and and it it has it's it's a different climate and it's still fun and there's still think places you can go to have fun but it certainly isn't the same as it was at like the mud club or you know human studio 54 well, that is Night Fever on Mondays, where I presents Plus and where, where we podcast. Number nine, Seth. Number nine. So number nine, my choice uh, was this surprise remix of Beyonce, Breaks my, Break My Soul, which is the song you've heard everywhere this summer. Um, but with a special guest, Madonna slipped in. And when I started seeing rumblings of this on Twitter, I was like, where? I, I have to have it. I have to have it. And uh, at that point, you could only buy it on uh, Beyonce's website. So I paid $1.41 and I got this MP3. I had no idea what to do with it or how to really play it on my phone. <laughs> but, um, but I still don't, actually. But luckily, it's on the streaming services now. And then um, I thought it was really good. Madonna doesn't sing on, new vocals on it. It's kind of a mix with Vogue. And then Beyonce does the, the, the Vogue rap with all the movie stars, but she does it all uh, black female singers, which is a really great moment. And the two songs really complement each other. And it seems like it's a big hit. And um, I think what's most exciting to me about it is I feel Madonna has need a bit of injection of cool for a while. And um, Beyonce is it. I mean, what better person to sort of like kind of bring you up and lift you up? Not that, she needs it, but I don't know. Maybe she did. Anyway, she's very much now on t on top of the culture again. And, she, you know, Madonna calls her the queen in it and gives her her props. And then there, there's a whole rap with all the, the, the houses of La Beja and everything at the end. And it's just a really fun, queer, historic recording. So it got me very excited. So much of this album, 
you know, I haven't heard it. I, I admit that I'm so far behind on everything, but you know that T.S. Madison is on it. Kevin Aviance is on it. Big Frida. I mean, she really is going all queer on us and it's God bless her. It, and then to have this Madonna moment, it just feels like, like Beyonce has our backs. It's just got me thinking so much about sampling and how the link the profound link between sampling and pop culture and drag. I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But they're all sort of adjacent to each other and part of the same thing. Because I think drag is about throwing on a bit of this and a bit of that. And I remember that's always what inspired us about it back in the pyramid days, was this is sort of crazy, let's throw on the kitchen sink, this reference, that reference. And it is amazing that Beyonce has kind of chosen to reference all these uh, underground, I don't know if that's the right word, but this, these kind of cutting edge queer characters. It, it's well, so and, and unexpected. Beyonce and, herself, 25 years into her career, is still more relevant today than she's ever been. And more fans, you know, she, what other artist can you say at 25 years in is even like the Rolling Stones, even Madonna, 25 years in was not as red hot as Beyonce is right now. Oh, yeah, there's no question how red hot she is. But I just think her attaching herself to this queer movement of this century in such an unapologetic and generous way is phenomenal. Because, of course, all these people are critical and crucial in the culture, kind of like we were talking about in Night Fever. But I think historically their contribution has just been taken as a given. And here, the hottest artist on the planet is stopping and saying, no, look at them. It's a, it's an extraordinary... James, yes, I know it ramps up her hotness and relevancy, but I also think it's a profoundly generous, amazing... And then I think, fuck yes, that's absolutely the way it should be. You know, this underground culture is so instrumental in the culture itself and in shaping the culture itself. James, I've lost you. I can just, I can just. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're like, is he done yet? He's just going. <laughs> Reading into it, darling. Reading into it. I know I'm sensitive that way. All right, let's move on. Uh, Queen's remix is amazing, Seth. I think it, it, totally. Um, and Vogue to me is one of, probably one of the greatest singles of all time. Um, Seth, this is for you, actually. Number eight. Golden Balls, the Golden Globes are back, coming back. Does anyone care? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What do you think? Yes, I care. I'm so relieved. I mean, it, it, that was last year was so depressing, you know? The only thing more depressing than that is when everyone wore black to the Golden Globes. For some reason, Golden Globes... <laughs> I remember, have, yeah. Have, everyone's issues get projected onto the Golden Globes and it's like the one fun award show. And yes, you know, the, the people that do it are in need of a re major rehaul. Let's not diminish that. Um, we're talking about the, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association um, who had, you know, uh, were, were shown to have no black members and generally be a, a little shady when it came to uh, freebies and giveaways and flight, flights and things like that. And it's always been a very shady organization. And uh, I think people kind of thumb their nose at the seriousness of the globe. But the actual show 
is one of the funnest award shows there is. It marries, you know, film and TV world, which is increasingly becoming one and the same. But it's still exciting to see major A-list film movie stars like Brad Pitt there. And um, and then all your favorite TV stars and everyone's getting drunk and everyone's being silly and the hosts are very irreverent. Usually, you, you know, think Ricky. Of, when you think of the Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, when you think of that, those Ricky Gervais years, I mean, some, yes. of the, some of the hosts have been absolutely ground. I mean, really just some of the best television award shows that there, there have been out there. That yeah, more, and also more fun than the Oscar host, certainly. For sure. It's way more fun than the Oscars. And and there's still significant awards, whether whether you think they're they're legit or not. It's a big deal when uh like Rachel Zegler gets uh, I forget if she won, but I know she was nominated. I think she did win um for for uh, West Side Story. I mean, she's a young ingenue actress, uh Latina coming up, and uh, you know, this is her big moment. And she was robbed of it last year. You know, it was it was sad. And that actress from Pose who won, who had to give her speech on like Snapchat. It was like beneath us, you know, as a award loving society. So I'm very excited that they're back. And huzzah, thank you, NBC. And uh, I will be watching. James, how do you feel about it? No, I'm I'm with you. I always enjoy the Golden Globes. I always think it, there's always you know moments that are, that are that are you know those viral moments that get shared everywhere. But like I said, I some the hosts are always hysterical. The speeches are always hysterical. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's. I just so many of the, of the moments and the, the outfits and it's just it's one of my favorite award shows. And I'm I, I was sad that it was gone last year, and I hope that this year is is back and better than ever. That's the Golden Globes back on NBC in 2023, January 10th. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. I will tell you that RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race Season 2 premieres tonight, 8 p.m. on VH1. And if you're listening to a show outside of the United States, you can get it on Wow Presents Plus, wowpresentsplus.com. Four ninety nine a month, etc., etc., etc. All right, Blake, have you got a question for us? I sure do. They're just silly questions this week because, you know. They're always silly questions with you, baby. You're always silly. Okay. In California, you can't legally buy a mousetrap without having what? We will have the answer to that teasing question right after the break. So Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report that make us go wow welcome back to the wow report i'm fenton here with james st james and seth abramovich and of course blake with a particularly silly question this week yeah in california you can't legally buy a mousetrap without having what cheese you gotta have some cheese to put in it a gun butter a gun okay that's a good one Driver's license? Close. A hunting license. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Is that true? I don't think it's really enforced, but yeah. <laughs> oh, ding dong. <laughs> hey, get out my mousetrap and go hunting to back game. <laughs> we are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. It's James's turn. Number seven. James, I watched last night They Them, or rather 
they slash them, which is a very important distinction. I don't know if you know what this is. It is the first non-binary horror slasher film starring uh, Kevin Bacon and Anna Klumski on uh, Peacock on the Peacock Network, and it is set in a gay conversion camp in the woods, in which there is a masked killer on the loose, and he is slashing <laughs> all the non-binary kids who are there to be converted. Um, it so it's um. It starts off really great. It has this really great premise. And uh, there is this group of kids, and some of them are self-loathing and want to change. Some of them, their parents have sent them there. Some of them are there, have been forced there. And they all get together, and they it's this different kind of conversion therapy camp. And Kevin Bacon comes out and explains that it's not Bible thumping, and there's no homophobic rhetoric, and they're just there to self-actualize and heal themselves. And it seems all very cool, and everyone sort of buys into it in the beginning. But then all the counselors begin these weird mind fucks. They're just absolutely my. It's just really creepy how you know how just creepy conversion therapy is in general. But the this really goes the extra mile, and at the same time there's a mass killer in the woods who is not who is slashing them all one by one and it it goes on like that and you're really buying into it and some of the characters are uh, there's some just i mean it's 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 very poorly written but when it when it works it works but then all of a sudden it goes off the rail in the last 30 minutes and it just descends into absolute nuttiness and uh I don't know that I can recommend it, but if you want to just watch the first half hour, it's a really good setup for a horror film. Does Kevin Bacon play a villain? Because he always yes. does such good villains. Yes, he is the, the leader of, of the, the conversion therapy uh, camp. And he, like I said, he starts off by being all, you know, lovey-dovey and in the kids' corners. But he is as creepy as they come. And, of course, you see who the slasher is, you know, from the very beginning. But uh, it's it's still kind of worth the ride. I can I give it I give it both thumbs up and thumbs down, and, and it's it's interesting if you want, have a few hour an hour and a half to spend. Kevin Bacon was in Friday the Thirteenth, the first one. Well, it, it is funny because they they reference that a lot, and the 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 player is the the slasher sort of has a hockey mask kind of appearance, and there there's a scene where there's a girl out on a raft in the middle of the the lake. And she says something like, I expect Jason Voorhees to come or something. Like they, they keep referencing Friday the 13th in it. And so, yeah. Okay. Seth, you've not seen it. No, it's on Peacock, which is always the, the streamer just out of reach. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but if, if it was I, good. I had gotten it, <laughs> I had gotten it last, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the... Um, the days of our lives uh, beyond Salem oh. that they have. So I purchased it. So I happen to have it. And that's how I stumbled across this. I, I think it would be terrible fate to be the streamer just out of reach. I would, I, I don't want to leave the room. I fear that one might say, oh, wow, presents plus mm, just that little bit out of reach. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, that wow presents is the one I reach for first. Oh, see the Canadian drag queens <laughs> are doing. <laughs> they are doing good too, really. Yes, oh my good God. season. <laughs> well, that's they them. So that's streaming on Peacock, right? They slash them. They slash them. Yes, they do. Okay, number six, Seth. Number six. 
Well, why don't we stay on the theme? I saw a kind of horror movie um, called uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Now, this one is has a slightly better pedigree. Uh, it's from A24, the very hip indie studio, and um, it stars Pete Davidson uh, of SNL and Kim Kardashian fame. Um, and it premiered at South by Southwest to good reviews, and so I was curious, and then I saw the trailer, and um, I don't know if it's as much a horror movie as like an updated um, Agatha Christie for oh. 2022, um, you know, euphoria it. audiences. It's a whodunit. And um, they end up, you know, in trapped in a house during a storm. And it's a group of Gen Z kind of spoiled bratty friends. And they so do like a lot the of drugs. None, ten little Indians. Yes. Um, but what's clever about it and, and a little bit breakthrough is that it, it mocks all the, the, the tropes of that generation and all the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know, the, the wounded victimized language you see on Twitter and uh, a lot of or, or um, uh, um, knives out, maybe. I saw this yeah. last night and I was going to say it's Clue meets Clueless meets Heathers meets Knives Out. Yeah. But it's it's more there's more mayhem going on, and uh, but it does kind of really capture that certain kind of uh, of, of youth language and and the way they kind of weaponize victimhood, and it's kind of clever because then they become literal victims. Uh, so that's a kind of uh, I thought was like a risk, you know, they could re- risk backlash, but they do they it works, and. Um, I'm not going to say anything specific about the plot, except that you will leave the theater very satisfied. Did you, Blake? I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was super fun. And (laughs) Alice was my favorite. She was kind of the ditzy friend. And she was like... Rachel Sennett. Yeah, who was on Call Call Your Mother, which was a short-lived sitcom on NBC for a couple of years ago. And then um, who else was in it? Amanda Steinberg is in it. Uh-huh. And the girl who was in Borat too is one of the leads. And um, what's the tall guy's name? Lee Pace is in it. Oh, oh I yeah. love Lee Pace. Oh, he's so handsome. Yes. I, he was, yeah, I, he and is, he's very I, funny I, I, in it. My my big he, he is a great part. Is Pete Davidson does it? Does he? Is he? He's he is a movie star, isn't he? How is he in this? Is he fun? D- yes, he's very fun. He's definitely playing you know himself. So don't expect for, you know, some great acting turn or whatever, but he's, he's very good in it. I thought he, okay, he's very good. good. And this is, um, a, this is so, a movie that you see in theaters or you can get, is it on it's, streaming It's somewhere? in theaters. I think it, it's in a few theaters in LA now, but I think this Friday it opens wide and um, uh-huh. it's 90 minutes. Beautiful. So nice. Short. You're in, you're out, you'll laugh. And, uh, and so I recommend well, with the previous movie and this, is this a trend of like sort of woke horror, woke horror in the woke space? And no. yes. Oh, yes. no. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think that there, you know, there's always going to be horror for every generation and you just have to keep making it fresh for everyone because it's not going away. Yeah. These oh, movies right. will age horribly. They'll age as badly oh, as Friday the 13th did. You know, uh-huh. but they're a beautiful snapshot of where we are right now. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't see that as bad. I, I like I like movies like that that just are of, of the moment. 
Well, that is bodies, bodies, bodies. That's in theaters, right? That's not streaming. Yeah. Yeah. You have to go to the theater to see that one. Number five. Number five. I want to talk about a movie no one's going to see. Batgirl. Oh. WTF. Like what? And again, I got to ask you, like, I don't understand how it works that you make a movie for $90 million, you spent the money, you edit the movie, and then you're like, nope, not going to release it. <laughs> Just going to, like, what kind of... Not even, not even if it planned to be in theaters and you don't think it's it's good. Why not just dump it on your streaming? Why not just you made it? Why is it? Why does it go away? How can it just go away? I James think it's, and I want to know, Seth. You have to. From tell what us. I've read, to be honest, I don't know. I, but um, from what I've read and what I've talked to what my colleagues, you know, it, it does have to do with tax write-offs. That if they don't if they don't make any money off of it whatsoever, if it stays oh. in the vault, it's, it's they the, can write um, down. It's the springtime for Hitler, the, the producer's theory. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Uh-huh. That they can write down this $90 million thing in their taxes and it'll come out, they'll come out ahead on the ledger. Um, but, you know, you upset a lot of people. Especially because the lead was a Latina actress. And when you, when you, wasn't she, wasn't Batgirl played by, uh, you know, a, a, a Latina? I mean, it's yeah, a real she was great in the Heights, yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like it was such a great moment for, you know, DC fans and for the Latin, the Latin community. And it just seemed like to have a superhero of Batgirl's caliber. It just feels very sad, like real loss. And shocking, you know, but this uh, new CEO came in from Discovery, Zaslav, and uh, he clearly wants to, you know, he's swinging his bat around and, and showing who's boss. And, swinging um, his bat around. Ha! <laughs> but I, <laughs> you know, they are. But I do want to also say that if you're going to, if DC is going to dump a movie, they should be dumping that Flash disaster because Ezra Miller is just yeah. every time they turn around, <laughs> they are in more and more trouble, and it, it spells doom for the project. They've they've spent they've sunk how much many hundred million dollars into this movie that has this absolutely toxic star that is going to sink the project. If you're ever going to get rid of something at DC, you get rid of the Flash and move on. Yeah, and weirdly at the at the earnings call, he he cited Flash as uh, being a really great movie and one that they're excited about and that they were going to do reshoots that on. That is Trumpism right there, doubling down on something that is clearly going to sink you. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the DC multiverse is a a, a terrible, a pale imitation of the Marvel. If you don't ever give the boys a chance, if you don't give, I'm going to talk about Harley Quinn. There are some things out there that you just do not give a chance. And it makes me furious that you sit, you sit on your high throne and talk about the wonder that is frat boy porn Marvel. And it just makes me furious because Marvel is for straight frat boys, whereas DC is as queer as they come. And how dare you, Mister? Mister. Well, I don't okay. know if that's true, but I, I don't see it as being quite so so black and white. I mean, like well, you know, we can argue the... this until the cows come home, and you will not change my mind. <laughs> well, I love that. Um, I, someone was someone called me and said, "Well, you should call Zaslav up as if I can just say, hi, David. What's going on?'" 
which I can't, but <laughs> suggesting I just call him up and say, give us the movie because you've written it down. You can't make any money off of it. So just give us the movie and we'll put it on Wow Presents Plus. And I was like, well, that seems like a good idea. At the very least, you could do a great rusical of Bat Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> or at least do be Beyonce-esque about it and do some sort of remix on the cut and, you know, mash it up with a few things. And I was thinking that maybe um, it's like a conspiracy. Like, what if he said, it, yeah, we're writing it down, blah, 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 earnings call, blah, blah, blah. And then one day it will be released to universal interest and acclaim. You know, people will just be frenzied for it. Did you see that great meme that was going around? Um, you remember the Diana Spencer movie that was um, Oscar nominated mm, last yeah, season? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, she often spends a lot of time staggering down hallways looking pain. <laughs> yes, and, and the meme was like <laughs> me trying to get out of the DC headquarters with a hard drive of Batgirl <laughs> right. stuff up my ass. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was wrong in every kind of way. But it made me think that, like, surely someone somehow is going to get... The movie's going to come out one way or another, right? I mean... Okay, well, I mean, they have a, a vested financial interest in it not, you know, and it's staying in the vault. But it, it is a new question. I mean, what do you do? Do you, They used to say destroy the negative. That was how you got rid of a movie forever. But negatives don't exist anymore. It's all bits, you know. So it, it seems like it well, would leak Mary eventually. Lewis is the clown who cried is still hidden. I think maybe that this could probably stay hidden too. I think it's like Kim Kardashian's porn tape. I think it's going to come out one way or another. Unlike The Clown Who Cried, I, I don't think this one's really that exciting to watch. The Clown Who Cried, I definitely would like to get my eyes on that one. <laughs> For sure. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow. Blake, have you got a question? Of course I do. And it's even sillier than the first. Mm. Um, what toy was banned in Indonesia for stimulating passion? We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Seth from The Hollywood Reporter. And Blake with Hi. the silliest question ever asked. <laughs> what toy was banned in Indonesia for stimulating passion? I I'm going to say Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> James. Uh, Hello Kitty flashlight. I don't know. Rubik's Cube. <laughs> the Hula Hoop. Oh, that mm. because it gets your, your body parts all tingly and moving, I guess. I guess so. When okay. was it banned for stimul in the nineteen hundreds or what? I'm guessing <laughs> in the fifties when it came out. Huh. The Hula Hoop. All right. Hey, snatch your tickets now to meet tons of queens from your favorite Drag Race franchises. RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Drag Race France, Drag Race Espana, Drag Race Holland, Drag Race Italia. Yes, they are all going to be at the biggest convention in Drag Race history, Dra RuPaul'sDragCon.com in the UK, January 6th, 7th, and 8th, 2023. Counting down top 10 things that made us go wow, number four. Number four. 
Well, apropos of nothing, I just want to talk about what a sizzling uh, run DC is having right now and how what, how spectacular <laughs> they're doing. They have a show out called Harley Quinn on HBO Max that is probably one of the raunchiest animated shows ever put out there. It is it's season three. Now, Harley Quinn, if you don't know, was Joker's girlfriend, but she is sort of this pansexual chaos demon. And now she is in a relationship with Poison Ivy. She's in a, in a lesbian relationship with Poison Ivy. And when I say that it is raunchy and it is raw and you see these girls do things that you have never seen cartoon characters do before, it is crazy. Last season, there was a bit of a kerfuffle when the the makers of Harley Quinn wanted to show a scene of Batman going down on Catwoman, giving oral sex to her. And Warner Brothers said, no, heroes don't do that. And the fanboy community went bananas <laughs> talking about what a Sucker. selfish lover Batman is and how dare you, how dare Batman not give cunnilingus to Catwoman. And it turned into this whole thing. Well, this season, they address that, and there's a very funny scene where Harley Quinn is on the phone with Catwoman, and Catwoman hangs up the phone, and you see her legs are spread, and Batman is between her legs, and then the camera pulls back, and you see that he's just giving her a foot massage, and he says, do you want some more? And she's like, eh, it's not worth it. And it's sort of like a wink-wink to this controversy of, can Batman eat out Catwoman? <laughs> then, this next episode, there is, it's, there's a, 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 the Court of Owls, which is the secret clandestine society in Gotham, has an orgy. And it's like an eyes-wide-shut orgy. And all the heroes and all the villains are there in masks. Batman is there. Commissioner Gordon is there. Penguin, Riddler, Joker. Everybody is having sex with everybody. And it is absolutely the raunchiest, craziest thing you've ever seen when you see Bane like trying to jerk himself off. But it's just like, the, it just is unbelievable. And earlier this year on The Boys, which is the best show on television bar none, there was a hero gasm was an episode and all the heroes had an orgy. And the fans are saying that this goes farther than the boys, which is hard to believe that this is one of the raunchiest or orgies you have ever seen on committed to film even though it's animated it is still absolutely shocking to see bruce wayne and commissioner gordon getting it on with the riddler and 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 the joker it is insane and when i tell you that dc has never been more on fire with this project than they are you have to give them their props wow i'm looking forward to the flash now <laughs> but anyway so so harley quinn season three hbo max it it is it, it kaylee cuoco is the voice of of uh, harley quinn and she is absolutely hysterical the whole show is just off the rails nuts wow well i have i have to ask what do you think of lady gaga playing harley quinn in the uh joker sequel well, you know, if I love the first Joker, I thought that, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix did an amazing job. If they if they continue on that route, I'm there for it. And I'll give Gaga a chance. I mean, if it's a musical, it's going to be dark. It's going to be twisted and it's going to be weird. So, yeah, definitely. And I also, you know, I Fenton, you did not give the, the Batman a chance with Robert Pattinson. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most beautifully shot um, superhero movies of all time. 
I wish you would. I wish you would have given it a chance. I wish you would watch. I watched forty minutes. No, you didn't. I did. I swear. Oh, and what you you gave up? You thought it just wasn't worth your time. (laughs) I love. I I love this fighting. Yes, I thought it was ugly and violent and pointless. Yeah. Oh, for the love of God. I liked it, but I thought it, it took him too long to figure out what the clue about the flying rat represented. <laughs> it's like, what do you think it represented? He's like, a penguin? Uh, <laughs> it's like, no. Uh, quibbling, quibbling, quibbling. <laughs> the DC boy, James. Um, we're going on to number three, Seth. Number three. This is another show. It's very controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I'm uh, somewhere in the middle right now, and it's the rehearsal on HBO. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Nathan Felder, but uh, he's a Canadian, uh, very dry comedian who did Nathan for You on Comedy Central. And and that one, it's kind of like Sasha Baron Cohen, um, where he plays, uh, he finds real people around the country and with problems with their businesses, and he comes up with the most ridiculous solutions. But because they don't know who he is, they think the, the solutions are like legit, and he goes all the way with it. And it's brilliantly funny. And um, as it went on, it got more and more uh, epic, I guess. And the last few, are, it, he goes on this whole like adventure, and there's all multiple characters. So I think he took that the satisfaction of kind of getting bigger with it and brought it to HBO. And they gave him what it seems like a very huge budget to spin this story. And it's too hard to explain in one sentence, but basically he's, he's coming to people who have problems and saying, okay, before you confront such and such to tell them that you've done this, um, we're going to, we're going to recreate your life. And he recreates their, like their apartments the, the, the restaurants they go to, the bars, he has them built like to the exact and he hires actors to play all the people in their lives. And he goes through it over and over and over again, thinking of every possible permutation of what might happen when this confrontation or this thing comes to light. That's sort of the most basic version, but what's revealing itself and it's just had its fourth episode is that he has much bigger ambitions with it. And he really wants to melt your brain and go into Charlie Kaufman-esque, you know, areas where you don't even know what's real or not anymore. And I, I don't know if you've seen Synecdoche, New York, but it was um, Charlie Kaufman's, uh, I think it was his first stab at actually directing after having written a bunch of amazing screenplays. And it, uh, it was about a guy who tr- tries to recreate his entire life in a warehouse, building sets and everything. So it definitely has that, you know, as an inspiration, I can tell. Um, and uh the, the criticism of it is that a lot of these people are not the brightest or a little weird and that he might be taking advantage of them because he kind of is like the puppet master. But he doesn't really hide that fact, but it can get uncomfortable sometimes when you see him doing this stuff. And, um, and so I don't it, know, some it, people it, feel uncomfortable. Is it, uh, are the critics being kind to it though? Is it, is it, is it award season um, prestige? Generally it's gotten, you know, very glowing reviews. People call him a genius. Um, But there's one uh, review from the New York times, uh, not sorry, the New Yorker um, from their film critic who didn't get it and thought it was just crass and cruel and didn't ask the right questions and that he was very smug and he kind of missed the point of uh, of Nathan's shtick, 
which is he becomes the joke as much as as his his marks. But um, it is it is very different from anything you're going to see on TV. And I plan on watching all eight episodes. And I do recommend it if you want something that sort of makes you think and cringe and laugh. I think I'm going to check it out this weekend. That sounds fascinating. It does. I mean, there's so much playing with levels of reality these days and everything. It's pretty mind. I mean, I'm still recovering from everything everywhere all at once. Like, yeah, it's, it's going to melt your mind. Yeah. (laughs) And then he gets in a group of actors and teaches them. And then, and then another group of actors to play those actors. And it's like, if you, if that kind of stuff like frustrates you and you're just like, I'm out, then probably don't watch it. But if you really like to have your head played with, I, I think it's worth watching. Maybe even, it you know, really smoking cool. a little something first. All right, the rehearsal on HBO Max. Number two. Number two. I'm so glad I can talk about this because normally when Tom's here, we can't mention him. And uh, <laughs> of course it's Trump. And I, I oh. just like was so excited. I'm showing my partisan colors, I guess. I was so excited when they raided Mar-a-Lago. I mean, that was one thing. Then the next thing was I was so excited when they showed photographs of ripped up documents blocking the loo. <laughs> like with like and then as a trifecta, he went and testified all day, sat and said, you know, invoke the Fifth Amendment, refused to answer any question other than the one only one question, which was his name. That his name hour was. after hour after hour, something like right. seven or eight hours of just saying yes. plead the fifth, plead the fifth. And someone fifth. said, you know, if you are innocent, why are you taking the fifth? It's well, that was Donald Trump. That was Donald Trump who said it. And yeah, also, you know, when you think of, and the way the Republicans have lost their damn minds over this, when they were the ones, you know, when Hillary Clinton had the server and block her up, block her up, block her up. But by God, when it's on the other foot, that just it, it, the whole scenario is just bizarre. But it isn't world. even an on another foot situation because. Hillary Clinton testified in Congress for, for how God knows how many hours on Benghazi. She never took the fifth, did she? Yeah. I don't think she yeah. did, not yeah. once. And, you know, and, and Trump was also the one who said, only mobsters take the fifth. I think that right. was his well. well, And, of course, every you know, Judge Jeanine Pirro, I watched her the other day, and just in, with the Waters guy on Fox 2, just them all absolutely losing their minds. It's hard not to just, uh, you know, sit back and giggle at how – crazy the situation is and but has it given him a boost has it you know helped his chances in 2024 we shall see what do you think son he seems like a wounded animal at this point i don't know but he's surprised us before but i just i i don't predict that he's going to be an issue in 2024 well, but... I, I i would rather have him than desantis by any day i tell you desantis is terrifying and I think yeah. it's gonna. It might come down to um, uh, Newsom versus uh, DeSantis in twenty twenty four, and that interesting. Answer, yeah, I have no doubt they'll find someone as awful as him. That that I have no question. But whether it'll be him, I, I don't know. Especially after this week, but I don't know. It's the ongoing soap opera that affects us all. It is, <laughs> and I think it's, it's sort of mind melting. Actually, it's like the rehearsal, isn't it? It's like a layers within layers. I mean. Just yeah. and the, the the basement stuffed with boxes of documents. I mean, what WTF? It's like how it, it just it, I cannot even form the sentences to even be 
remotely articulate about it because it's just so outrageous. And then people are like out there protesting and what's her face is saying defund the FBI. I mean, what? what? It's like exactly the ones who are saying making fun of the left for saying defund the police, and now they're the ones saying yeah. defund the FBI. It just it is that layer upon layer upon layer of just alternate reality on top of alternate reality that is just alternate facts and craziness right right even well okay let's take one last break we have a very special uh, a very special surprise coming up as number one um although a little melancholy but stick around because right after the break we'll reveal the number one thing that made us go wow here on the wow report you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow and welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with, I was going to say Tom, but Tom's not here. Well, he sort of is, but I'll get to that in a minute. I am here with James St. James and Seth Abramovich and calling in for a special guest. Is that a blue screen background I see before me, Tom Campbell? <laughs> I am so happy to say it's not. I'm here in New Hampshire, Mountain View Lake. That is not real. I know it looks so bucolic and so beautiful. It's hard to believe that places like that still exist. I'm a very lucky guy. I feel we're watching Soylent Green. You know, when the guy goes off to euthanize himself and they see beautiful videos of fields and flowers. This is, this is, and Tom, you're wearing a very fetching hat as well. My my friend Greg said I look like Henry Fonda in a golden pond. So so (laughs) it's one compliment after another. I love it. We've been counting down the top 10 things that make us go, wow. Sadly, we have reached number one. Number one. I had to uh, break my vacation just to be with you guys and to share with you. I I uh, flew to Boston. I got off the airport. I was sleeping the whole flight. I turned on my, on Monday. I turned on my phone. I saw a New York Times uh, news bulletin. My eyes blurry. Olivia Newton-John passed away at 73. And I lost my breath. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be a cornball here. I just, I sort of ran into, I got out of the line, kind of leaned against the wall. And I looked up and I realized, well, no one's looking at me. I'll keep going. And the next person I spoke to a few minutes later was my sister because she's picking me up at the curb. And I hadn't spoken. And I'm like, Amy. And I just bawled like a baby. I could not. It just was a genuine, you know, and I said to her, I didn't want to freak her out. I'm like, I didn't think I was going to cry. Olivia and John, as anyone who knows me, I've loved for so long, since the very beginning. I was 10 years old when I bought um, Let Me Be There, her first American ah, hit. Let me be there. And she had, you know, huge mind. hits up until like 1983. So, and I've just been thinking about this a lot lately. That takes me from 10 to 20. And so much changes in your life from 10 to 20. And Olivia was the it girl. And of course, we all remember her and love her from Greece. And that that sort of immortalizes her. And it kind of tells her story because before Greece, she was a huge star. She had number one records. She was this Australian British import who did, who won, you know, country awards, had number one songs, I Honestly Love You, during a kind of pre-ironic 70s when things were very straightforward and beautiful. And then with Greece, she had an opportunity to like reinvent herself and people always slut shame Sandy. It's like, damn it. Like she, she wanted to like, you know, get down and get, have some fun with John Travolta. It's like, come on. That's, that's, we were all feeling the same way. Um, And then of course her career after that, she had physical, which was the biggest song of the eighties, not Madonna, not George Michael, not Whitney Houston, uh, Olivia Newton-John, 
Um, and Xanadu, do not forget how important, how formative Xanadu was for me. I remember I was, um, uh, it was a summer and I'd gone to the record store and I saw Xanadu. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea there was a movie. I got the album. I went home, Electric Light Orchestra, one album, uh, Olivia Newton-John, the other, and just, it blew my little mind. It was a mix of disco and new wave. And it was people always was wanted so to beautiful. dismiss her talents, and she had yeah. one of the most distinctive, beautiful on pitch voices. She worked with John Farrar her entire career. They made incredible music, incredibly varied music together. Um, and of course, in 1992, she was diagnosed for the first time with breast cancer, and she was very public about it. And she uh, made a big point. There's a big uh, cancer center named after her that she was a part of in, in Melbourne, which was a cancer center with a wellness center. So she was very much about Eastern and Western medicine working together. And, you know, 30 years later, she, she, she you know, succumbed to cancer, but she was always, she's just beyond the career, beyond her beauty was external, but it was so internal that I don't think anyone, I don't think she ever let anyone down. I, I just rewatched a, um, CBS this morning where she talks about her cancer and knowing about death and dealing with it and how she never complained. She's just the most beautiful. And I go for a little gay boy. She somehow made everything. Okay. And she made everything. And she was a safe. Uh, I, I a just want to say friend. that I, um, I broke down in tears when they were doing a sort of a retrospective on the news when it, when it came out. And when I honestly love you, when she, you, she started singing that, and I was just like, I honestly loved her. And I just, I literally just broke down in tears. It was, it was very, I can't very think sad. of a controversy or a time that she let people mm -hmm. down or she was, she never took things too seriously. You know, she always had a smile. We had her on drag race, which was, and I've met her a couple of times. I actually, I probably told you the story, but there was Sandy gown through a, a, a Christmas party in 1988. It's the most amazing party I've ever been to will ever be to. And it was Bob Dylan and, and Streisand. And, and it was just, it was like hundreds of celebrities of that ilk. And Olivia was there with Matt Latanzi and I was able to corner her. And oh, Matt Latanzi. We haven't even talked about her first time. <laughs> Husband. But I got to tell her how much I loved her. And my friend John Tolens reminded me that not only did you love her, you, you got a chance in your life. And I didn't post a picture of me with her, even I have one, because it's not about me and her. It's about what she emanated. And and my hmm. last thing you guys can talk is I when, when gay marriage was bubbling up and I kind of didn't see it, I couldn't see us having gay marriage. And I thought, also, who wants to buy into the institution of marriage? I get it. But like I said, we need to create our own kind of marriage. We need to like redefine it. And I thought we should call it Xanadu. <laughs> and if you listen to the lyrics of Xanadu, it speaks to the, the dream that lived through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. We call it Xanadu. So if you get married, uh, if I ever get married, if anyone will ever marry me, we'll, we'll, we'll actually just go to Xanadu. <laughs> well, that is a beautiful uh, tribute. Um, Seth, do you have a Xanadu moment to... Um, well, of course, she touched me greatly. I mean, Greece, uh, you know, indelible. And um, but I have one anecdote that's secondhand, but I'll share it because it, it kind of shows her personality. And it's uh, I once interviewed the woman who played Snow White on the Oscars infamous telecast. Yes. And uh, and I said, what you know, what happened after you got off stage after that whole crazy performance? And she said, I went into the dressing room and and Olivia Newton-John was just sitting there. And she turned to me and she looked me in the eyes. She said, wow, that was, she didn't say anything bad. She just said, that was incredible. How did you get through all that? Something like that. And <laughs> a very um, sort of 
supportive way, you know, and um, and I think she gave her a hug or something. But there was something in the way that she that was her little guardian angel when she got off the stage of that really horrible moment um, that I, that touched me a lot and, and said a lot about her personality that she looked her in the eye because everyone else was giving her the cold shoulder, you know, Aww. but she but she she talked to her and congratulated her. And I thought that was really sweet. That's what I thought of. That is so beautiful. Um, yeah. Rest in perfection, Olivia Newton-John. Um, Tom, thank you so much for breaking into your lakeside vacation to share that. Seth, thank you for joining us again. And uh, James and James, always a pleasure. <laughs> thank you, darling. <laughs> yes. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go. Wow. Wow. wow.